0: are listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network
1: production. Welcome to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Coming up, we'll break down the NFL's top running backs, Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey, the Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott, and a guy I like, the New York Giants, Saquon Barker.
0: Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz.
1: So, my question is you know, just a couple of days ago, the NFL claimed they had a, a rash of what do they call false positive tests? In other words, an unusual amount of positive tests came back from their weekly testing, you know, from around the league. And, and immediately they screamed, something's wrong. We, we had gone up to this point relatively clean, I guess 1% or under. And now all of a sudden they had a bunch of positives. So they claim that it's uh, it was an error made by the testing company that they paid for, they use. So now I'm con- totally confused. Is somebody lying or is somebody telling the truth? What's going on?
2: Well, I was I understood that they were gonna use the same company for the whole league. I didn't know that they weren't right. Um and now just listening to Well that's what I like, thought. I, I thought yeah. they were
1: using the same company for the whole but it, it league. But it sounds like
2: there's yeah, there's different outfits, uh which doesn't make sense to me. And I think that's I think that's a nightmare for them. Uh it makes you wonder too though, Ron, you know, just the general public, how much of the testing has been accurate and how much of this has gone on in the general public.
1: Yep. You know, yep. so uh,
2: At least they were able to corner it and identify and fix it. So, you know, uh, I'm glad that they're moving on and playing and all that stuff and just, you know, hunker down, let's go.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, we were talking about the running backs. And there's some good running backs out there in the NFL these days. And I'm going to start with a guy who, uh, you know, he went to Stanford and he was a good player there. And how many times, Mike, have you seen really good players in the NFL or in college, and then they go to the NFL, <laughs> and it's like they were abducted by aliens and then dropped back off, and they're not the same guy? You and, know, you know, I, did, I don't know if that's what people thought might have happened to McCaffrey, because we've seen that happen before. But I think the alien spaceship got the wrong guy or got a different guy, because no one touched him, because he, to me, he's just as good, if not better. In the pros, as than he was in college.
2: It's interesting because a lot of running backs over the years, uh, you have to be careful. Wisconsin or you know even Alabama, Georgia. Do, look at the schedule. Um, I think you have such a giant productive games. Uh, some of these backs when they play Poughkeepsie State or Pacoima University, you know, and all of a sudden they brush for two hundred seventy-five. Or they play. A bad, de- you know, the the variety of defensive fronts and their abilities that you see in college just doesn't exist in the NFL. Everybody's good up front, you know. So when they make that transition, they this we talked about the speed of the game. It, it's real and it's very real for running backs. And you know, the the length of time a hole opens and closes is a blink of an eye, and to see it and be there and get through it uh, takes a special player. And uh, you know, yeah. it's just a different game, like you said now. That being said, Stanford and what they ran on offense with David Shaw out there, who I think is just a phenomenal coach, uh, may be uh, one of the two best head coaches in college football today. But um, I think that – I just think that they're so much more like what you see in the National Football League, and he sees it down after down after down, and then they utilized him at Stanford much the way the league would utilize him. So I think his transition – Probably was a little bit easier than for the most. Plus the fact that he's just so doggone talented.
1: Here's Christian McCaffrey talking about the importance of winning.
3: The biggest statistic is winning, and that's all I've really ever cared about. So, uh, you know, for me, I just want to win. I, I hope everybody scores four touchdowns a game, uh, and I hope we win by sixty every game. You know, that's that's obviously the goal. But uh, you know, touches don't matter. I think at the end of the day, it's the coaches got to do the best job they can of putting the ball in their playmakers' hands, and their playmakers got to do the best job we can of, um, you know, making them right and uh, doing what we do best: making guys miss in space, uh, being physical in the run game, making guys miss in the pass game, catching the ball, being efficient, uh, limiting negative plays. And you know, that's once again, it, it sounds sounds easier than you know, it's easier said than done, but. Uh, I think that's the most important part of football. When you have weapons, when you have talent, it's, it's, it's what you do with it and how consistently you do it. I think it's about, uh, you know, and practicing with intent, you know, meeting with intent, everything you do has to be with intent, you know, knowing we don't have preseason games and we didn't have OTAs. I think those are all, you know, good excuses, but, but, you know, we have to be ready to roll when it comes, you know, the first game against Oakland and, uh, you know, for, for us, it's, it's about just coming out every day and, and focusing on one thing you can get better at and getting 1% better every single day and uh, practicing fast, practicing physical. And, um, you know, if we do that and continue to correct our mistakes, I think we're going to be good.
1: Mike, I know you love the part about winning and what the team does. You just don't hear that narrative very often from star players anymore.
2: You know, he's such an unusual personality, so mature in um, this. It's obviously, you know, he has that team approach. Uh, Marshall Falk, it, sound, it just reminded me of an interview with Marshall. You know, that's the way he was. And uh, how do I fit in? How can I help this team win? Uh, I never worried about how many touches he had. I I do remember in our, I think it was our second game, we had just opened up and beaten, a, uh, the, excuse me, our third game, Baltimore, and then we beat, atlanta and we had to go up and, and play cincinnati and they were real good defense and marshall had i think nine or 13 yards totally had like six carries but came had scored four or five touchdowns in that game and we won handily but and after the game i was concerned about him because i didn't, really didn't know him that well at that point and he said look we we win like this and we can spread the ball around and, you know if i become a decoy great he said i'm just about winning and uh, I'll get my opportunities to contribute. I'm not concerned about that at all, Coach. We just, I'm just thankful that we're winning, and it made us three note at that point. I thought, wow, you know, he's good, but he's even better than I thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I immediately think about some some players in the league back in the day, and I'm going to take you back here a little bit, Mike. Um, there was a guy who played for the Rams uh, named Capoletti that was pretty good for a while, <laughs> and. There was another guy that played for the Jets back in the day, named Riggins, that was pretty good. And you know, he's got some toughness and he's got some acceleration and some suddenness. And he he runs with with an attitude. That's that's what I see. Like every play, he can break it for you. This, this is a guy I remember, the only player in NFL history with 25 plus rush yards and 2,500 plus receiving yards in his first three NFL seasons. So you know, he, he's a real deal. He's done a lot of damage, but you wrap all that up in the team concept and, and you've got yourself an all-star player, obviously.
2: Well, and he's done that on a team that's been kind of uh, anemic, if you will, and yeah. you know, on a really, really good team. Think of the damage he would do at Baltimore or you know some of these other teams San Francisco or anywhere you know where they're hitting on all cylinders and and when they do start doing that if they do as good as he is he'll even get better uh, one of the things that he mentioned and referred to is you know, his football acumen is just off the charts he starts talking about you know what you what you have to do the little details I've of each player, how to win and making guys miss in space, making yeah. guys miss. You know, he's conscious of all those things. He just doesn't play. He knows when he's in space, what he has to do and how to do it. He's already, he's already thought through those things and he's practiced that. And it's uh he's ahead. You know, he's ahead in the game. He's never playing catch up. He's always ahead, and I think that's real important.
1: Yeah, not the biggest guy, but he's bigger than you think, and. Yeah, you know, he's got explosion and all that kind of stuff, and he he he's fun. He's fun to watch, and he's good for the league. Uh, the next guy, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, with the Cowboys, and everyone knows what what Ezekiel did in in, in college at Ohio State. And he's he's a, he's a bigger physical back. Uh, he he seems like a workhorse to me. He seems also like a guy. I guess if you have a Ferrari. You don't drive in L.A. stop-and-go traffic and just, unless you're trying to flex and be cool, which people do all the time. You take it out to the road in the country where you can let the bad boy loose, right? And it feels the same way with Elliot. Don't run him 15 or less times a game and then expect him to, to open it up for you. He needs that ball 20, 25 on up, and then you've got something.
2: You know, the old saying, let the big dog eat. And I think that's what they have to do with him. They need to center him as the, the, the major reason why they're going to win is because they're handing him the ball. I would say this in, in their defense that yeah. as many points as they were scoring, they were playing from behind because they were so bad in the back end. And that, and that does throw your tempo and your play calling off. And it's hard to be patient when you have to score 14 points to tie the game up in the fourth quarter. It, it is hard. And – you know, you'd like it to uh, be a situation where you can, you know, let him dominate the clock and the game, and just let him grind it out for twenty-five to thirty touches, one way or the other, in the game. And I think, I think they're probably headed in that direction. Hopefully, in a, with the offensive line they have, and things are a little bit different down there in terms of uh, the new energy involved. And I think that's always good. So, I do believe he he does remind me of Sean Alexander to some extent. Um, mm. he's, not as, he's not as reckless. He's faster. He's not as reckless, but one of the things he does, he has uh, that Frank Gore ability where you hand him the ball and he's up in the line of scrimmage in a blink of an eye. I mean, there's a tempo or speed from the handoff to the line of scrimmage, and all of a sudden you see this burst or acceleration and jump. And yeah. he, when you look at some of the tape from behind when I was coaching Frank, you don't know how he got through that hole. It was it was like 18 inches. It opened and it went, and he, he saw it and he got through it. And that's kind of – You know that type of run vision and ability to change gears and explode is is certainly what Ezekiel Elliott has. Yeah, you know Sean Alexander was more of a a beast at times. Uh, I think he's Ezekiel Elliott's got that physicalness to him, but he also has Frank Gore's feel for inside running, and I think that's real important.
1: Yeah, I think Elliott he'll he'll accept contact a little more to um, I, I always felt Sean was had a little bit of fi- a lot of finesse in him which isn't a bad thing as a running back it helps you stay healthy but I, I think Elliot is a guy that doesn't mind getting his pads dirty and, and getting grimy a little bit and, and going at people 1600 yards plus his first year in the league and then he just followed it up last year with 1300 yards But uh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry.
2: And I do think that you know they'll throw the ball to him a little bit more as well. You know, I I do think he's better in space uh, out of the backfield. He makes an awful lot of plays. I think he's a great third down back. I think he could really be that third and four to six guy where a linebacker is trying to match up on you. That's not going to happen. So I do think that uh, that you might see a little bit more of that uh, utilizing him in different roles, perhaps in. Maybe what they have in the past, but uh, who knows? I do know they're good in the offensive line. They've got the—I mean—they've got all those other pieces to take the pressure off the types of coverages that limit a back. You know, the eight-man front stuff and all that. You know, the—you know—the bear defense kind of thing. So, I do think with the receivers and the quarterback and a good offensive line, it should allow him, you know, to grind it a little bit and be explosive. So, he'll make some. Those four- to five-yard runs, uh, he'll make them become 40-yard, 20-30-yard runs, you know, like he did early in his career there. I think this last right. season he only had like four that were 20, 20 yards or more in his first year. I think he had like 14 or 17 or something like that. It was ridiculous. So, you know, I think the pressure is on the defense now. I'm, I'm, I think he's just going to have one of those banner banner seasons. There, Like we were talking about Christian McCaffrey, yeah, he's on a yeah. real good team. I think that they're, like you said, they're going to put the wheels back on the Ferrari and drive it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and Elliott, averaging in his career rushings thus far, four point six yards a carry. So, not too many offensive coordinators in the league would complain about that. And, and to your point, he could break it at, at any time. Mike, did you ever, did you ever have a, a a certain amount of carries you you wanted to make sure? that Marshall had every game or did you, did you, you probably for him, you call them touches, right? Yes. Instead of carries.
2: Yeah. We were going to give him the ball where they hand it to him or throw it to him. Um, we started off like that. And I tell you, Ron, it, it's hard because as soon as you see the structure, because everybody, and especially initially, everybody had a defense that when you play a defense, they're going to take him away first. Cause they didn't think you could, we could beat them with uh, Kurt and those receivers. Right. so, you know, even in 2000, you know, when Kirk got hurt, they just said, listen, we're going to take him out. And then, of course, he was league MVP, which didn't happen. So, uh, he thrives under that stuff. And he he just, um, I I just, you know, you uh, you look out the structure, and by structure, it it shouldn't be a good play, but all of a sudden, he breaks it. So, I had to talk myself off the ledge on some of that stuff where we're seeing, man, there's an unblocked guy in there. Marshall just knew nobody's blocking that guy. And you know, this is like Emmett Smith. Uh, the the running back coach used to coach him down there in, in their heyday, um, and I asked him one day. You know, I was talking about their isolation play, and I said, "Well, you know, the safety's down to the strong side, and you're going to lead to the strong side. How, how do you take care of him? I, I you know, he's going to make the yeah. play at the line of scrimmage." He, he said, "All oh, him. He belongs to Emmett. <laughs> I never forgot that. You know, <laughs> our great backs. There's somebody up near there that. You know, he he's gonna have to, to beat. He belongs to them, and I never forgot that remark. And so that's what we did with Marshall. You know, there's times when we knew there was an extra guy down there and he's just gonna and Marshall knew it. And he knew he had to deal with that. And you know, it goes back to what we're talking about, Christian McCaffrey. He knows those things. They're smart, they have a high acumen for football, they understand who they have to beat, who's who the you know, the offensive line's accountable for, who's gonna be left, and you know, if you can cut back and the end's unblocked back there, then you know you have to go inside him if he's a box in all those kinds of things well they understand that and once uh, we got going we tried to compensate as much as we could but he was going to get his touches it was very rare when he didn't
1: yeah and it doesn't hurt to have nine pro bowlers on offense either that kind of helps your your touches as well
2: no it's that's why i say it's a good thing you know when you have (laughs) these talented backs that are on bad teams uh yeah. You know, mixing mix at uh, Cincinnati, you know, he's a good player, but my goodness sakes, that's, uh, you know, you're hanging by yeah. a rag there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the last guy is a guy who I, I think is very special, and, and not to discount McCaffrey, Elliott, and, and a ton of other backs in the league that are fun to watch. We're just highlighting three here. But Saquon Barkley with the New York Giants, I'll, ta- I'll say this, Mike. So I- I've played against some pretty good ones. Played against Walter Payton. Played against Barry Sanders. Played against Eric Dickerson. On down the line. And having been juked out of my socks by Barry Sanders and also having tackled Barry Sanders successfully, I see things from Saquon Barkley that I hadn't seen until or since Barry Sanders. That's that's how good I think this kid can be. And and everything you just mentioned now with with Caroline and the Cowboys and now, you know, getting these guys into the offense right and the offense having to find a way to get them involved right, I think has already come into play with Saquon and he's got a new staff in there. And I just don't think he's been used right correct I mean correctly. Yet, I don't think he's had a chance to show his true potential.
2: I think you're right. I, I think they've misused him. I, I do think he's – Ezekiel Elliott, I compare him to a Frank Gore kind of Sean Alexander yep. kind of deal. Christian McCaffrey, Marshall Falk, you know, they're, they, he, they bring to mind other players. I don't think I've ever seen anybody like Saquon Barkley. In fact, I'm sure I haven't and for him to have the modest numbers and they're very modest numbers they're good numbers but they're still very modest a thousand last year 1300 the year before with 730 receiving and et cetera but this guy could very easily be the one of the two or three top players in the league year in year out uh, he just and that's be very unusual for a running back and like you said he has such a a gift that you know I don't know that I've seen before so I, I do think with the new staff in there, of course, they were familiar with uh, Ezekiel Elliott because he was down there before. So, with the Cowboys as a head coach for what, fifteen years or fourteen years, or so, he, yeah. you know, that whole approach to it will change, and I think they'll use him very effectively.
1: Yeah, he, he, the things he does, he can stop, and make those those insane moves where normally people would would tear their knees apart or ankles apart, and, but, but, and Barry could do that, and I see Saquon doing that. And then he's got the explosion, then he's got the top-end speed, and then he's strong. He, he has the entire package, and if they can ever figure out how to get him the ball a lot in, in the right places – I think he's going to be unstoppable. I really do. But but now now, like I say, with coaching changes, philosophy changes, there's so many moving parts back there in New York right now. And that, that could be end up being a good thing. I'm not I'm not raining on that parade yet. But you know, the clock's ticking when you're a running back. You know, he's only got so many years, and he's young. But but even still, it's it's got to happen pretty soon for him
2: what he sees, I'm sure there are other backs who can't see it, but what he sees and, and what he can, I mean, it's different being able to see it. And then also the next part of that would be to get there and take advantage of it. And I think there are a lot of backs that can see it, but can't quite get there. And and here he's the guy that, you know, he can not only see it, but he can re- do remarkable things to get there and get through it. You know, Marshall was like that. Um, I think Jason Garrett, with, with his design and play design, and uh, you know he's the experience that he's had with some great backs over the years, and uh, they'll utilize him very well. And I think they'll just kind of turn him loose. I think he's had a, you know, shackles on him to some extent. I think uh, some yeah. of that has to do with the personnel issues that they've had there. And good offensive line, and get the quarterback situation uh, straightened away. They should be fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the vision part is huge. That, that's uh, that's one thing I think you always talk about. Marshall, Man, he he could see really well. All the good ones can see things and feel things, and as they say, have have eyes in the back of their head. And you probably have to have that at that at that position.
2: You know, I was a running back in high school, believe it or not, and uh, <laughs> I played with a, my best friend Larry Zajon. He was really a good running back. I mean, he was really good. Of course, I wasn't worth a hoot. You know, I was. I was a fullback and a linebacker. I'll give you a little bit of an idea. So whenever I got the ball, I could see it, and I wished I could get there, but I couldn't. You <laughs> <So> you wished. <laughs> I wish. Oh, I see. I see what you're spo- where you're supposed to. Go. I just, darn, I just can't get there. You know, these guys, they see it and they're there in an instant. You know, it's it's so remarkable from that perspective to, you know, playing the game at a young age and just kind of the vision and. Wishing I had that kind of ability and you have such a great appreciation for their ability to not only just see it but get there and take advantage of it.
1: Well, now that you've segued to yourself, I might as well just take us all the way there. I heard a rumor that while you were at UCSB, University of California, Santa Barbara, you uh you 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 caught a touchdown pass against Tennessee. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> or is that just, is that just, uh, yeah, is that just WikiLeaks stuff, right? Oh,
2: man. <laughs> I, we played Washington and Tennessee back to back. And I'd missed the Washington game because I'd pulled a hamstring. So, Tennessee was my first game back. And
1: oh, man. Thank you. We, we, we went Washington down was glad. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, we went out of Tennessee. Now,
2: they had not been scored on in nine games. And this was their season opener. So, the last nine games of the season four, they had not had a touchdown scored on them, right? So. They're the number one team in the nation. And we go down there. Of course, we've been practicing in the, in the fog and 65, 70 degrees over in the coast. It's 98 degrees down there and it's raining and it is so humid. Uh-huh. Guys, guys are getting faking injuries just to get out <laughs> off the field. But anyway, Jackie Walker was an all American linebacker. And then, and then of course, uh, Majors was an all American safety. And I caught a pop pass from about the 10 yard line on the goal line. And I saw them they were both zeroing in on me and I ducked and fell in the end zone they hit each other and knocked each other out so it was um, <laughs> it was interesting I, it was not i, I can't i can't it. Should, I shouldn't say I caught it, it i captured I captured the ball oh, fell my, basically stop. fell in fell into the end zone these guys came up to put the big wacko on me and they hit each other and and uh, in fact uh, uh Bobby Majors knocked himself out on it. And I, I, was, I went over and sat down on the bench, and, and the, you know, the fans are right there. They were, and I felt something hit me, in the head and they had I turn around. These two gals, well, they were at least 70 years old.
1: They were throwing, <laughs> ice,
2: they were throwing ice cubes at me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, ben, that was back when football was real, man. Yeah. Let me tell you're you, you how sore, real it was. You're the,
2: oh. We had cleats, right, because we're on grass. We had – they had to give us uh, turf shoes so that we could play the game because we we didn't have any turf shoes. We never played Oh, it was turf. Yeah, that was the
1: beginning of turf. What year is this?
2: We don't need to talk about that.
1: No, we don't. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go. That was sensitive. Yeah. That was 1971, Ron.
2: (laughs) 1971. I
1: was going to say, that was the beginning of AstroTurf pretty much in the 70s, early 70s.
2: (laughs) And we did have face masks, by the way, so don't
1: start that. (laughs) Oh, boy. But now you're you're in basically the same stadium that exists today, right? It's just been added onto and a little bigger. But that, that was, was that was the place there in in Knoxville, right?
2: Yes, and it was. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, it feels like
2: you could just turn around on the bench and, and touch the fans, and they were really close. So yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it was a long afternoon for the Gauchos. But was that I a did, day game? Yes, it was. Oh yeah, oh. brutal. Oh. Boy, brutal. Yeah, I thought it was. Coming, I thought yeah. it was cloudy. It wasn't cloudy after the rain. It wasn't cloudy. That was just the humidity in the air. I'd that's humidity, that son.
1: <laughs> oh, that's something else. Well, first of all, that that was back when UCSB was still playing football, right?
2: Which, they didn't, which they didn't play next year. Now they didn't play next year. They didn't play the next year. They dropped oh, yeah. the program after. That's when I went to Fresno State.
1: It. Yeah. Ah, man, I, I wish. I wish some of the smaller programs would, would still be playing football. That'd give a lot of kids a chance, some good football players, to keep keep playing. But man, that's that's quite an accomplishment. Not too many people can say they they went into Knoxville and scored a touchdown against Tennessee. And uh, who was that? Johnny Majors coaching.
2: Johnny Johnny was coaching, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was a very memorable game. I think they fumbled the ball seven times. That's why we were oh. even in it at halftime. They're trying to run the option, and
1: you know, oh. Could you imagine what their locker room was like?
2: <laughs> so I'm, I remember I'm, I'm blocking. I'm the tight end, so I'm blocking on, I'm blocking on an off-tackle power play, right? So and we run that against our own team, and we played a game or so. And I just remember starting down the double team, and I'm supposed to um, pick off the backside backer as he comes over the top, so to speak. And I started on the double team, and he was gone. So you talk about speed of the game. The, the game was just so much more fast. Yeah. Yeah, I, would just, I was just—I was—I was amazed at how athletic and fast they were, you know, compared yeah. to us.
1: Yeah, yeah, another level of football. Yep. All right, coach. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Run it again after this message.
3: Hey, it's Jesse Cage. Join me every week as I welcome wrestling superstars of today and yesterday, and we go into their origin stories on a podcast I call First Match.
0: He put Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Snuka, Ray Stevens, and all these wrestlers in the ring, and he made me run from one person to another and get slammed by each one. Well, I must have took about four slams from each of them. One slam, you would say, holy. That's the
3: Brooklyn Brawler. Catch him this week on First Match, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
0: There are families that will go hungry tonight. Every day, people who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The need is greater than ever before, and your neighbors need your help. Donate today to support communities facing hunger during this time of uncertainty. Every dollar you give can provide at least Ten meals to children and families in need through the Feeding America network of food banks. Please make a donation today at FeedingAmerica.org. Thank you. Welcome back. Here's Ron Pitts with the coach Mike Mars. Be sure to join them every Tuesday for a new episode of Run It Again. Let's take a closer look.
1: All right, so let, let's let's move on here and continue our NFL uh, specific position. Discussion here. Let's go to the quarterbacks, and we've been talking about a couple pretty good quarterbacks here in the last couple weeks. Um, But let's 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 get to this group of guys here: Uh, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Ben Roethlisberger. Let's start with Lamar. Okay, last year's MVP, league MVP with the Ravens. Everything is going great, man. It was like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Everything is going great until. (laughs) <laughs> they got to the playoffs. And it just seemed like that fairy tale season slowly dissolved, which like we've seen happen so many times. You know, when I got to the league, the first thing the coaches would say is, All right, man, I remember this was Hank Buller, and Hank Buller went to the chalkboard and he said, uh, I guess I could it's a grease board. Yeah, it was a grease board. I'm not that old. And he says, Okay, he draws a square said, this is the season. These 16 games, this is the season. Then he goes over and he draws another square. This is the playoffs. Then he draws one final square. This is the Super Bowl. He said, what happens here in the season block has nothing to do with what happens here in the playoff block. Because just because you did well in the season block doesn't mean a damn thing once the playoff starts. And then when you get out of this, the next thing doesn't have anything to do with the other thing. And I, I didn't understand really what he was saying, Mike, because I how could I? I? Didn't I hadn't been through that? But after I went through a couple NFL seasons, I realized that season number one is so damn long. And number two the playoffs have nothing to do with what happened in the regular season. You better bring your a game and ready to go and ready to play because you will be sent home quick, fast, in a hurry if you don't. And I, and that's what happened to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens last year.
2: You know, when I first came to the league, uh, Ted Tolner was our quarterback coach when I was at the Rams. Ted, and great
1: game. Great. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And he told me before our first preseason game, are you excited? I said, of course I am. And that was my first game. And, it was a thrill, just electric, you know, just a lot of fun. And He said, as good as and as fast as it is in the preseason, he said, when you get to the season, it's a whole different. And he was right. And then and then he said, you know, when you get to the playoffs, you just ratchet it up and under level, the speed of the game and the intensity. And he was right. And then you get to the Super Bowl and it goes up. And if you can't step up to meet that intensity, you know, then you're just not going to make it. And like you said, Ron, you know, and we tell our players this, we'd like to win the division, but whether you win it or not, the whole idea is to get to the playoffs any way you can. Right. right. And once you're in the playoffs and what you did that season is meaningless, you know, because there's a whole bunch of other teams down there now that, you know, they were had the same kind of talk that, you know, we were having, right? So you get into the playoffs and it's a whole different level. And then it's just about, Fighting your way through, you know, to get to that next level, and so the whole point was with the Ravens, I the intensity just didn't seem like it it ratcheted up to what it needed to be, and that's unusual because he's a great head coach, and I, I I didn't understand why it fell off. Like it, it appeared to fall off to me. I don't know if you saw the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a trap. It really is, especially if you have that bye week. I remember my dad used to say this all the time. He said the worst thing in the world is to have that bye week, not because of a rest uh, standpoint, you need that, but from a mental standpoint, because guys tend to sit around and the media talks about how great you are and how, how well you've done and how you've had a great year. And there's this, you get comfortable. You get comfortable and complacent and in the NFL that's the first step to failure in in my estimation I, you've always heard guys like um, Bill Parcells and, and maybe even Bill Belichick since he's a disciple of Parcells talk about having that edge on guys wanting them slightly uncomfortable in, in, in a way that they stay focused and maybe that's maybe that's for real Mike I, I tend to think it, it, it is more than it isn't
2: it is for real and it's you have to do whatever you have to do to keep that edge and that was the way they did it you can we, we used to talk to the players every day about being the best to ever play the game and you know that was we chased that all the time so it really making a difference in our mind who we played it, it was just getting better every week so we we use that to avoid Falling off. It wasn't so much, okay, we made the playoffs. It's just we are on that upward trend and we just have to keep going. You know, we're trying to get better. You know, that's, that's what we, that was our mantra. I think what happened with them, in, in my opinion, is they, the players themselves became so reliant on Lamar making a play at the key time that they just figured when things got tough, he was going to do something miraculous. And that, that is a very, very dangerous, place to be because then you're waiting for somebody else to make a play and then you don't play up to your standards and well he'll you know I know we did this but he'll make a play he'll come from he'll do something magical and as coaches you can't do that to the player either you know there's enough opportunities for them to do that but you can't add that on to it you've got to bring the others up as much as they can to his level and let them do their job as well I just think they kind of let him down a little bit to some extent Extent, I think they just expected him to win it on his own, almost. And that's a terrible thing to say, but that's the feeling I had.
1: No, you're 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 right. Yeah, it's like uh, look, it's like basketball. Okay, look at the Lakers uh, Trailblazers series. Okay, the Trailblazers got into this thing, the playoffs, literally on a last-second shot by by playing down to the wire all the way through here, and. You know, everyone's saying, man, watch out for them. Watch out for them. They're the team. They could sneak on people. They could sneak the Lakers. They take the first game, and now it's 3-1 Lakers, and they're on the verge of getting punched out. (laughs) So what they thought they brought from the the fight, you know, the last couple weeks here and into this game, that's gone right now. Okay, so, so now they've got to find something else. And and to your point, if you don't bring whatever you had during those 16 games to that next game in a playoff, you'll be home real fast. And it, it happens sudden, and it's uh, it's it can be devastating. It, it really can be.
2: Well, I think there'll be a Super Bowl team next year, I really do. I, I just think they're too good, but I think yeah. what they have to do is it, like Patrick Mahomes, um, the guys around him offensively, he's raised their play up, and they've responded to it. I don't know that that happened with the Ravens, you know, and the coaches. I think have done a great job there. That I don't believe this is. I just think that there's some guys that have got to come up to his standard, you know, to play at a higher level. And if they'll yeah. do that, I think they'll be they'll win it again. But um they're such a good team, and he's. My goodness, he's such a special player that you can put too much on a player. I mean, you can, and you have to be careful of that. When defensively, they're not stupid. They're going to do everything they can to take him away. And when that does happen, because it can happen, you've got to have an answer for that.
1: Yeah, and and they're learning, and he's learning too. Uh, Remember last year, you know, they were they were hot stuff, and then the Chargers went in there and beat him in the playoffs. No one saw that coming. Okay, that was a lesson for Lamar. And now last year, you know, after winning the MVP, getting punched out in the playoffs at home. So that's another lesson. So, hey, you know, maybe he's learned everything he needs to learn. And a team has learned everything they need to learn. And, But I'll say this, when you're the guy, and he's clearly the guy now, after winning the MVP and all of that, they study for you different. They prepare for you different. He, it's not going to be the same as last year. I'm not saying he can't have the same year but now they, they load, they load that gun a little differently <laughs> and they stay, they sit in different parts of the other, of, of the trees waiting on you. So he's, he's going to have to fight through that. definitely. No question.
2: that's why you have to game plan for that and you have to practice for that. So when you yeah. practice, you have to put him in the most difficult circumstances on a day to day basis. You can't make anything easy for him. If you want to be a great team, you have to challenge all your players like that every day. The easiest thing is to go out there and throw against cover three and corners off and all that. I don't want that. Well, I want a blitz uh-huh. period. I want them to, you know, we put heat on them every single play of every practice that, so that the game is easier than practice. And I think, you know, it's only a way they can grow and get better. I, I just, man, I just think that uh, – around him and they rush what they rush for 3200 yards or something like that so they're a very balanced attack and defensively they're a real good team um i just think that he you know you got to do a better job of competing um you know in the you know in the playoffs you just got to do a better job of it
1: next guy deshaun watson with the houston texans i i'm i'm confused with him a little bit i know what he did in college and and that was fun to watch there at clemson But where does he fit in the Mahomes, Russ Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, dare I say Tom Brady uh, story or discussion? Because he seems like he's stuck somewhere in between Lamar Jackson and all those guys. But, again, he's having trouble getting out of the playoffs. And I say he. I mean he, his team, whatever you want to say – Tell me what you like about this kid, Mike, and tell me what you think is, is the stumbling block down there.
2: I think the biggest stumbling block, and I would just revert back to when we talked about three other quarterbacks here the other day, you know, the really great ones, and this kind of refers back to Lamar too a little bit, the really great players compete at a different level than anybody else. They just do. I, you just can't explain it. That when things are really bad, they're at their best. And sometimes the uh, you know just your emotions and some of those things you they control it better than everybody else. They focus better than everybody else. They embrace those moments and look forward to it. And that's the mindset that you have to have. I don't know that that's the mindset. Maybe it is with you know uh, with these these two quarterbacks. I, I don't know. I because neither one of them have broken out when they should. And uh, yeah, and that's right. up to them. That's up to them. They have to – when when they have to get it done, Russell Wilson, when you need to score seven points to get into the playoffs and you got 37 seconds left, I just feel somehow he's going to find a way to do it. You know, you don't have that feeling about some of these guys. And they have to establish that. And that's why I said earlier that it's hard to explain – Competing at a different level, it's just just not words. It's a mindset, and it's an attitude that very few guys can get to, and that makes them so different, and it's so beyond ability. The, The ability is a given. Nobody's questioning that. It's just Patrick Mahomes, he wants it in his hands, and he's absolutely on a mission, and those are the guys that are different than everybody else. Are these guys like it? They haven't done it
1: yet. That that that's right, and, and I don't want to call him a wannabe Russell Wilson or a wannabe anything else. But until you you've done it, they're going to call you a lot of things <laughs> that you're going to have to wash off your back and keep going. I mean, I, I can't call you Patrick Mahomes, son. I can't call you Russell Wilson because there's and I, I can't call you uh, Aaron Rodgers. There's there's a big difference between those three guys and you. Uh, Well, exactly right, and
2: I think that when you – they have rings, exactly. They found a way to get it done, and that's what's missing right now. As MVP in the league and great numbers, 36 touchdowns or what it was, six, all that stuff, six interceptions, uh, great numbers, great in third down, great in the Reds, all that stuff, but you didn't get it done in the playoffs. And that competitiveness, you know, the measurables go out the window, the stats go out the window. You know, when it has to get done, you got to get done.
1: Yeah, that, that team's got a, got a problem there and they got to get it fixed or there's going to be some changes. That, that's not just offensively. That's kind of a, around the board. They'll have the, an, amazing, an amazing season. It's like the example I use from training camp my first year in the league. Okay, here's, here's the season over here. Now this next part called the playoffs, this is a whole different galaxy. And I don't, I don't think they've been able to make that transition. But, you know, hey, that, that's what separates the good ones from the great ones, right? And, and that's the that's difference, right? It there. does.
2: And the other part of that, though, Ron, is there's a responsibility of those coaches to make sure they're putting him in a position, the best position possible for him to have success, too. And yep. whether they're doing yep. that, or, I don't know. I'm not qualified to say that because yep. I don't know anything about what they're doing. But there's
1: another part of that story. Yep, Absolutely. And the last guy we're going to talk about today, quarterback-wise, a guy I've always liked. I've always liked his toughness. I've always liked uh, the way he led his team. I always felt like he was a leader. You know, whether – whether I don't know. fans are fans. Fans can get weird on you in any moment. You know, it, it, it's Sometimes they like him back there. Sometimes they don't. But Ben Roethlisberger, to me, I'll, I'll play alongside Ben Roethlisberger any day of the week, going into his 17th year in the league, had the injury last year, so he's gonna have to come back from that. Um, I, I don't I don't really have a feeling that he won't. Uh, he's already got a ring, Mike. <laughs> he's you can say what you want to Mike Big Bing. Big Ben's got his rings. So you know, he's he's uh, he's Mr. Pittsburgh right now. And now the question is, how much longer do you stick with a guy like this? When when is it? When is it enough? At 17 years in the league, when do you know as a quarterback coach and, and coordinator and head coach, when do you know that it's time to move on to another guy?
2: I've had that discussion with a couple guys and, and I said, you will tell us when, and, and you're the only one that can be honest about this thing. You tell me when you, when it's time. Uh, I can't tell you that, you know, I can project that and see some things, but you know, they're really great ones. They'll tell you when it's time, and you just got to let them be. That's how I looked at it. I had that conversation with Marshall. And uh, I think Ben, the biggest issue with Ben is protection. You know, he's always had a tendency to hold on to the ball for a long, long time. And he made some huge plays down the field. And nobody throws it down the field like Ben does, right? So, you know, yep. I think if they can change a little bit of how he's playing that game an upbeat – some of the passes and give him a better chance to get the ball a little bit quicker. Right. And they've always played great defense there. that's just, They just do right. That's just their moniker. I think the biggest issue for Ben is, is that, uh, they get him into an opportunity where he's getting the ball out a little bit faster. And I think if they'll do that, they'll keep him upright and they'll have a better chance at it.
1: Yeah. And Ben, at least back in the day, now he would take some sacks, because he wasn't going to make mistakes with the football, so I don't know how much his, his offensive line liked that, but uh, I, I, I get the feeling his offensive line has a lot of respect for him. Still does because he he's a team guy, always has been, always will well, will be. like I said, I I would love to play with a guy like that,
2: no question. He and the I think the linemen love the guy. You know, they've always had a great mm-hmm. offensive line there. They do a good job of trying sure to get the right people in there around Ben because they know what he's going to do. But, you know, you've seen it. There'll be two guys hanging on him, one wrapped up around his leg, the other get grabbed in his jersey from behind, and he still <laughs> throws the ball. I don't know how – I mean, he's just so physical and strong. And he, he just has got such great confidence. Yeah. But I do remember when he came out, boy, was he ever something to watch? But he yeah. – he. Uh, I just do think, though, physically he's going to be a little bit slower just to help him stay on his feet, you know, just – tempo up some things in that passing game. And some real hard play action like they've always done. It'll be fine.
1: Yeah. And uh, they've got Mason Rudolph if things don't work out. And I don't know if that's a good thing, a bad thing, or a a remains-to-be-seen thing. But we will will keep updated on that, definitely.
2: You know, Ron, I I have another question for you. Mm. There's a guy that we kind of went – through the running backs, but there's a guy that quietly had a hell of a year last year, and I just think that uh, you we talk about being shown up in the playoffs. Derrick Henry down there at Tennessee. Derrick Henry, yeah, he he was in yeah he yeah. was in the um, back room for about three years down there, alternating getting a few touches, few touches there, rushes for fifteen hundred yards or whatever it was. But when he got to the playoffs, he was a beast. That's the sure guy was. to me, the competitive edge. When you find those personalities and they're gifted, you, you have to lasso them and you, you've got to put them in a position where they can win for you. That competitive edge that he has, he just got better in big games and you can't, you can't put a price on that.
1: No, you can't. And in, in maybe in the next couple of shows here, we're, we're going to discuss Derek Henry a little bit more in depth because you're, you're right. First of all, we, it's funny, we were the kids were watching uh, the Tennessee – what was it? The Tennessee uh, Ravens game last year, and Henry was just gashing. And they were, you know, they were running that that zone read with a cutback in it, yeah. and he was just picking his points, his vision. He's got g- great patience, and the guy's a lot bigger than people think. Oh my gosh!
2: Was he six, like six, three, 250, 240, something like that? I mean, he's yeah, he's he is yeah, a guy that you can hand yeah. the ball thirty times a game. I mean, you, I mean, he's going to hold yeah. up. McCaffrey's about two hundred five pounds. He's five eleven. I mean, you got to be careful. But this guy, yeah. And by the way, when you asked me about Marshall and the touches and all that, that's why we did more with him in the perimeter too. You know, he's not a big guy, so we just we wanted to get him the ball in the open as much as we could. Uh, I did. I did not want to. Ha- he's not a guy you just hammer with. Now Derek Henry is. I mean, he's a guy you can't. You know, I don't know how many passes he caught, but it must have been a handful. You know. But this guy is a good player, and, and like I said, that's they've built their team around that that theme about being physical, running the ball, and all those good things, and they'll try to have an answer for him, but great backs, it doesn't make any difference.
1: Yep. All right, Mike. Well, under normal circumstances, this would be, I believe, uh, the third preseason game. This would be the game coming up this weekend where you, you put all your, your real dudes out there and your starters, and you gave them a little bit of time, but. Instead, it's going to be just another practice. <laughs> so, oh, I'd be, I'd be going crazy right now if I were still playing.
2: Well, you know, the, but, think about the monotony of camp without playing a game. You know, <laughs> think about being in there for five or six weeks or whatever nah, it is. No way. Yeah, can That's you imagine I'm no being way. in a camp and no then way. not playing a game?
1: Even with scrimmages and all that stuff that the coaches can do and would have to do and they're doing right now to, to, to cut it up and spice it up, Mike, you're still talking about almost a month with no games. Yeah. I mean, and yep. this is that period. They've been in camp for roughly four weeks now, and right about now dudes are starting to get antsy, and, and I'm sure fights are breaking out and all that kind of stuff. And, but you've got what? We've got, what, another two and a half weeks? We Almost do. three weeks before the season starts right and i think Oof, that
2: man I, it, it's got to be i don't want to be in camp
1: <laughs> as no, a
2: coach no, i used no. to love camp because i love football no. it, it, it was all football but I'll tell you right now it'd be hard it'd be a hard place to be
1: yep all right mike that's it for us we talked about the running backs we're going to hit some more later on and we talked about the quarterbacks your insight great as always and we fixed the training camp issue i'm glad we're not in camp so, and you're out of there man you're heading uh, you're heading back south from from idaho aren't you pretty soon right? yeah, we're
2: gonna go down in a couple days uh we we've stayed up here a little bit longer we usually get out of here in august uh we stayed a little bit longer um, but we're headed back to san Diego.
1: all right sounds good brother we'll talk next week thanks ron i'm ron pitts with the coach mike marks and we hope you enjoyed this episode Be sure and join us next Tuesday as we discuss the making of an NFL head coach. Remember, we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little. Be safe and stay healthy, everyone.
0: Run It Again with Ron Pitts and coach Mike Marks, a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network's production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ted Woods, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Run It Again Podcast.